0: Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today we are nearing the end of my summer sermon series on spirited conversations. Many of you have heard this before, but this summer I've been taking sermon topics from various conversations I see taking place in the public sphere. Some of these are conversations I have observed on Facebook or seen in other media. I have invited your suggestions as well. When I posted that invitation on Facebook, one of you posted an article by a man named John Mehta titled, I Racist. Meta is African-American, and the subtitle of the article is Why I Don't Talk About Race with White People. On my Facebook thread, another person chimed in with a desire to know more about what white people can do about racism. Every person here is impacted by racism, whether we are aware of it or not. But we are impacted in different ways. We here have different ways in which we are in positions of privilege and ways we lack privilege. It is often a challenge to preach one sermon to a group of people who do not all relate to the topic in the same way. So some of this sermon will emphasize what white people can do, because it's important that we who are white are actively working against racism. And I can only hope that everyone here will find something in this sermon that speaks to you, and I can only apologize for the parts of the sermon that don't speak to you. None of us wants to be part of the problem, not even accidentally or unconsciously. We all want to be part of the solution. The good news is that the Christian faith invites us to a journey of transformation where we move from being part of deadening systems to the hope of new life. We can move from being even inadvertently or unconsciously part of the problem to being part of life-giving solutions. One worthy starting place for Christians who want to work against racism is knowing that racism is sin. The Christian tradition has a lot to say about sin, and truly a lot that is helpful. We talk about sin and sometimes have a narrow image of finger-pointing and judgment and blame. But the truth is that the Christian tradition, and the ways the Christian tradition draws on the Jewish tradition before it, offers constructive ways to deal with sin, to heal sin. We can apply this to the sin of racism. Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the early church in Rome. Paul describes Christians as those who have died to sin. He goes on to use baptism as the central metaphor for this death to sin. He says, All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, We have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is not a rare or isolated image in the New Testament. All four Gospels and many of Paul's letters use death and resurrection as a metaphor for transformation, a transformation that we are invited to experience and participate in. Sometimes the language used is the language of being born again, as in the story of Nicodemus. When Nicodemus goes to Jesus, Jesus tells him that he must be born anew. And born anew is a slightly better translation than born again. When Nicodemus tries to figure out what this means, Jesus goes on to talk about being born not only of water, but of the spirit. Jesus talks about spiritual rebirth. Sometimes the language used is about denying oneself and taking up one's cross to follow Jesus. We find this language in multiple places in our Gospels and there have been many confusing interpretations of what this means. But at heart, this message is, again, about deep and significant transformation, about turning away from an old self or old ways, and following in the way of life Jesus offers. The cross is used as a metaphor because this turning away from an old self or an old way of life is such a big deal that it is almost like a death. Jesus also says those who will lose their life for my sake and the sake of of the gospel will save their life. Sometimes the image is of casting off the old in favor of the new. We find this in Paul's second letter to the early church in Corinth. He writes, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So when we are aware of old ways that are deadening, we have this promise of something new. The New Testament emphasizes the theme of dramatic transformation over and over again. And why? The spiritual life invites us to transformation in response to the human condition the realities of the human condition. The Bible paints a picture of the human condition that includes violence and oppression and injustice, unjust social structures, and people who have strayed from God's ways to become self-centered, prideful, impatient, anxious, greedy, violent, and more. One of the hallmarks of Jesus' life and ministry was that he exposed injustice and prejudice and exclusion. Of course, there is a more to the human condition than that. The Bible contains plenty of stories of love and compassion and of faithful people who stand up for the oppressed. And as often as Jesus exposed injustice and inclusion, he modeled good news to the poor and oppressed— and inclusion of the outsider. But even with the realities of love and compassion, there is no question that the human condition is a troubled one. We can see that in the Bible, but also in our own experience. We see that values and structures and the messages of this world shape and socialize people in ways that are not consistent with God's will. Racism is a glaring example of this. In a society where racial inequality is built into the very structures of our economic systems, our educational systems, our criminal justice system, and more, every single one of us is impacted. Our opportunities and our attitudes are shaped by a system that is not what God wills. There is a gap between the world as it is and the world God envisions. There is a gap between ourselves as we are and the people God invites us to be. And in the face of these gaps, the Christian tradition invites us to change. The Christian faith invites us into a process of transformation. The point is that when we are faced with destructive old ways, old systems or structures or beliefs, we can move into new ways, new beliefs and new structures. There is the hope of new life. The invitation of the Christian faith is so dramatic that the metaphor used over and over and over again is a metaphor of dying to our old selves, that a new self might be resurrected, It is a metaphor of dying to sin and being born again. It is the image of everything old passing away so that we might be new creations. I think the call to work against racism is a call to precisely this kind of dramatic transformation, the death of old ways and the birth of new. So I have said that the Christian faith invites us to transformation, and I have shared that the central biblical metaphor for this transformation is the metaphor of death and resurrection, the image of the cross where Jesus was crucified, and the call to take up our own cross. The traditional church language for this transformation that happens through the cross is atonement. And atonement is a way of dealing with sin without falling back on some of the older and less helpful definitions of atonement, I think we can say that transformation in the face of sin is a life-giving invitation. And when we talk about the journey of transformation as being related to sin and atonement, it makes it a little bit clearer how that might apply to racism. Because racism is sin, And if we have been shaped by this world in ways that put us in a position of privilege, we need to atone for the sin of the privilege that exists. Atonement can sound negative, but it is profoundly hopeful. The invitation to atonement is God's assurance that we can do something to make right that which has been wrong. Atonement is not about punishment or judgment— It is about reconciliation and transformation and new beginnings. And in the Jewish tradition, atonement is often collective as well as individual. So we who find ourselves in a position of privilege in a racist society, and that is especially white people, we can participate in a collective process of atonement. The Christian tradition has a robust theology of transformation, of dying to sin and being born anew. But the Christian tradition does not have teachings as robust about the practices of atonement. But since we know that concrete practices support our spiritual lives, we also know that concrete practices are necessary when atoning for sin, whether individual sin or collective sin. So how do we atone for the sins of racism? How do we actively participate in the hope of transformation? Transformation from people who have been shaped by a racist society into people who see racism for what it is and work against it. This is the place where I am thinking especially of myself and others like me who have the privileges that our society grants to those who are white. I think for us, the process of transformation is the process of moving from imagining that we are fragile to accepting that we must be humble. It is a process of moving from protecting our own sense of safety to being willing to be at risk It is a process of moving from comfort to being uncomfortable. While the death that the cross symbolizes is metaphorical, we cannot deny that the transformation our faith invites can cause loss and pain. We need to be willing to accept this. Jesus moved in a world where loss and pain were the daily experience of the oppressed and the outcast. And Jesus refused to protect himself from that loss or pain. He refused to protect himself even from death. And we too are called to stop protecting ourselves from sorrow, from pain, from discomfort. We are called to take risks when the opportunity presents itself. There are too many people who do not have the luxury of protecting themselves. Some people do not have the luxury of protecting themselves or taking a break from racism. So those of us who do have that luxury can be better allies by choosing not to take a break, choosing not to engage that luxury, but instead to continue the reflection and action daily. Our faith encourages a practice of spiritual disciplines that is daily and intentional. Our faith invites a self-examination for the sake of seeing where we can grow. When Luke writes in his gospel about the call to take up your cross and follow Jesus, Luke adds that we are to do this daily. The process of transformation is continual and ongoing. As we apply this truth to the reality of racism, we can hear an invitation to examine and address racism every day. I do not in any way have all the answers. I don't have the best answers. But I do want to offer something because over and over again, I hear from you that you are wanting urgently to have something to do to make a difference in the face of racism. Racism is highlighted in our country right now because people are paying attention to these horrible events that have happened over the past year, which are really continuations of horrible events that have happened for centuries. And out of this awareness of how horrible things are, a small bit of good news is that there is so much out there for you to read, so much available to help us educate ourselves, so many ideas that, for how we can work together as we seek to work against racism. So let me get a little bit concrete for a minute. As I've said, you can educate yourselves, and that is a good starting point. There's an abundance of resources out there, not just to read, but to watch or to listen to, and I'm guessing that many of you have seen much of this, but if you haven't, you can ask me and I can help you find sources we must know the realities of racism and white privilege. We must not say or do anything to minimize or question these stark realities, and we have to challenge those who do say things to minimize those realities. We who are white can amplify the voices of people of color. We can speak up, speak out about what we have heard and learned And we can especially do this with people who don't agree with us or don't see things the same way we do. Because those are the people who are sometimes more likely to dismiss or reject the voices of people of color, and maybe just a little bit more likely to listen to those of us who are white. So it's important that white people speak out to the people who don't want to listen to people of color. This piece about Engaging in conversation with those who see things differently than I do is one of the biggest challenges for me, I have to confess. I've become especially aware over this last year how few people I really engage with who don't see things the way I do. And I know from seeing some of you have conversations with friends and family on Facebook that there are many of you who are really engaging in earnest conversation with people who see things very differently from how you do. And I applaud you for hanging in there with that challenging work. We can also do things to rock the boat. We can confront racism anytime we see or hear it, especially when this feels hard to do. We can attend protests. We can show up and be present. We can vote, and in times of elections and other political uh, activities, we can demand that conversations about racial justice be part of our political process. We can write letters to politicians, letters to the editor, things like that. We also can and must commit ourselves To maintaining our sense of urgency about racism. Not just this year, not just this week, not just when it's prominent in the media, but for the rest of our lives, 10 years from now and 20 years from now. This gets back to the point that not everyone has the luxury of setting aside these issues. So if we do have that luxury some, we need to make sure that we keep our sense of urgency alive for the years to come. We who care deeply about the well being of humanity want to dismantle racism. We who can catch a glimpse of God's vision for our world long to transform our world so that it matches God's vision. This work is a process of deep transformation, internally and externally, that is very true to the Christian path, a process of dying to old ways and finding new life in new ways, dying to complicity with racism, and finding new life in working actively against racism. Because the Christian journey never stops with individual transformation. Our transformation is for the sake of the world God so loves. Our transformation is for the sake of God's kingdom, God's vision made real in our world. Amen.